Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat with Jamie Thomas of Jets TV about the last 15 games here for the Winnipeg Hockey Club. Can they get to the postseason? Also, Jamie Nye, who covers the CFL, hosts the Green Zone in Regina, wants the CFL to tweak the rouge. Why? He'll explain. And also, we'll learn more about the National Powerlifting Championships happening in Winnipeg this week. That's all on the podcast. Since we are into March and it is the home stretch for the Winnipeg Jets, I thought we'd have on Jamie Thomas of Jets TV to help preview this important, important stretch of hockey. Jamie, how are you doing tonight? Great. How are you? Doing well. So 15 games left. If I were to tell you at the start of the season that on March 2nd, the Jets would be tied for the second wildcard spot, what would you have said? Uh, I think I had... Uh, a positive attitude heading into the season. I didn't think it was going to be easy, especially, and we probably said this a million times when it comes to talking about the Jets, uh, losing the four defensemen that they did in the off season. Um, you know, Buffalo not showing up. I think the way they've recovered um, from a pretty shoddy penalty kill, uh, tough communication with the back end, which is bound to happen when you have all those new faces. I think they should be given a medal so far and all the injuries they've had to fight through. So I would say it's pretty much where I figured they would be fighting for a wild card spot at the beginning part of the year. So the way the Jets are playing right now, they come off two pretty impressive games against Washington. One, they get the the loss, but they get a point out of it after going down Mm. big, then beating Washington in a shutout, and then they lose close in Edmonton. Is it good enough just to be close right now? You got to get some wins here. Uh, yeah, so the, the, when you have, and Blake Wheeler pointed this out after the game, the loss of the Oilers, is if you're tied with under five, you know, around seven minutes to go in the third period, at this time of year, you have to leave there with at least a point. So I don't think anybody needs to point out how heartbreaking that goal uh, allowed from Ryan Nugent Hopkins and the Oilers, considering how dominant the, the Jets had been, for, uh, you know, at five on five for the majority of that hockey game, too. So uh, you know, 16 games left at that point. Now there's 15, so it's it was it was it's heartbreaking, and it was a tough one I think for them to to get over. Uh, today is a new day. They got back on the ice and practice after having Sunday off, and you get the Buffalo Sabers tomorrow night. But now it's you know this entire month of March outside of the Sabers, you're playing, and the Wild are kind of on the outside looking in a little bit, but they're in the playoff conversation. Everybody they play this this month has playoff aspirations and, and a chance to make the playoffs. So. Uh, you know, last last month they had that little break in the schedule. You know, you have the Los Angeleses and the Chicago's uh, coming to town. That six game homestand, you, you, you took advantage of it. Uh, now that the, the schedule is not so kind, so starting tomorrow night against the Buffalo team that is severely underachieved this year. After all, you know, which is pretty much the story every year. And Buffalo is so much promise to start the year, and now you go up against that team that beats you two one. Uh, just over a week and a half ago, you you have to go back in there and, and get these points, especially on home ice and with Vegas and Arizona coming up with the schedule afterwards, for sure. Yeah, you look at Minnesota, they're at 71 points right now. Arizona yeah, crazy. 72, Winnipeg 72, Nashville 72. They've got Dallas. They've got a lot of games against the Pacific still. Uh, not, not the bad teams in the Pacific as they had last no. month, the good teams in the Pacific, yeah. like Vegas yeah. certainly on Friday. Now they have two games off between... Uh, tomorrow night's game and then the game against Vegas Friday and then again two games off for Arizona next Monday part of that is because they have played more games but do you think they like the fact that they get a little bit more time off 
Yeah, there's there's going to be a lot of days off this month for the Winnipeg Jets too, and I, you know, it was pointed out uh, that the schedule is is favorable, right? And especially in March, you you any break you you can get, you're going to take advantage of it. And they have quite a few of it. There's not many back to backs. I don't think there's any for that matter. But uh, if, if there's any, there's just one. So the schedule is is very kind to them, and for them to have that many days off between games uh, on home ice, that's even even better for the hockey club. So you know, you're getting Josh Morrissey back. Uh, tomorrow against the Sabres, you know, he missed four games and that's the thing you're, you're starting to see guys trickle out in the ice in uh, non-contact yellow uh, in Adam Lowry and Nathan, or sorry, and Matthew Perot. So the cavalry is coming in some essences. And I think that's what Kevin Sheveldaff pointed out that that's, that's, you're getting those players back. So you don't really have to go out and make a deal uh, at the deadline last Monday. So it's, it's a favorable position they're sitting in right now. Uh, of course, you know, you get a point in Edmonton and you're sitting in the playoff spot right now. Uh, instead of the outside looking in, but it's, I don't know. You're getting the sense to me that you got to win 10 of these last 15 games, at least to put yourself in a position to to be in the conversation to make the playoffs. So it's, it's the best time to do this is uh, now you don't want to be going, Oh, we got to win 10 of our last 11. You want to be like putting yourself in a favorable position. And that starts clearly with uh, the Sabres tomorrow night. Yeah, they do have one back to back. It's the 14th in Calgary. Then the next night, it's a Saturday, Sunday in Vancouver, but that's it. Everything else, there's at least a day yeah. between games. So it's a beautiful schedule. Absolutely. Like, outside of your opponents, it sets up very nicely for you. You have a lot of days off to heal bumps and bruises. And uh, so that's, there's, there's a lot of things working in their favor outside of the fact that they're not in a playoff spot right now. Yeah. The forwards still need to get healthy. Obviously you mentioned pro mm-hmm. Lowry, but aside from Spiza and Niku right now, who are, you know, even when they're healthy, you know, they've been playing in the third pairing. This yeah. defense is probably as good and as healthy as it's been all season right now. Yeah. And this is, you know, you got, you, you, you paired uh, Palmer's paired Dylan DeMello with uh, Josh Morrissey today in practice. Uh, Dmitry Kulikov and Neil Pionk have worked out to, to be a pretty good pair. And then Tucker Pullman and Nathan Bolu, right? So, I think this, it's been, you know, all over social media today. This is probably the best six defense for the Jets have put on the ice at one time with apologies to everybody else that's been in the lineup this year. Uh, at least on paper, that's how it looks. So um, this is, you, you don't want to say anything considering the way injuries have happened this year for this hockey club. Um, and I think that that's a good sign for your back end. And they've been very good five on five. You know, we've already touched on what they looked, you know, what they did in Washington, but to, to blank the Capitals after they're up three, nothing, and then shut them out on, on Thursday and play an incredibly solid five on five game and allowing two goals uh, to a, one of the best power plays, if not the best power play in the national hockey league on Saturday, I think you have to be happy with this. And that's, that's all a lot attributed to the back end and your goaltending. Uh, clearly the forwards have a play in this, but I think they have to be very happy with the six defensemen they're going to put on the ice tomorrow night against Buffalo. And looking at the forwards with the injuries to the players who mentioned, and now Patrick Line, who's not a long-term yeah. injury, he's going to be back, if not tomorrow night, probably Friday night for, yeah. for the Jets. You get to see Mason Appleton playing more minutes. You get to see someone like Jansen Harkins playing a lot. Specifically yeah. on Harkins, what have you thought of his game as an NHLer here? Yeah, he's kind of one of the warm, the heartwarming stories, right? He's kind of a good conversation piece, a very talented player. Not really when you thought about guys that could play for the Jets this year. Uh, Jansen Harkins' name isn't on the top of that list, right? He was always kind of a, a, a big prospect, but hadn't really worked things out. But he had an incredible start the year in the American Hockey League. He was named to the American League Hockey All-Star Game, uh, American AHL All-Star Game, um, and then just has worked his way into the lineup and found himself with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. And both players said he, 
you know, he really impressed them. And if you get that, that's a great, you know, boost for your confidence. And the fact that they've kind of found some good chemistry with uh, Andrew Kopp and Jack Rosovic now. So I've, I've loved everything about Jansen Harkins. Uh, Paul Maurice has pointed out many times because of the, the coaching job that Pascal Vincent and the rest of the guys down in, in, in with the Manitoba Moose do, that it's a seamless transition. And then you find that anytime any player comes up to the Moose uh, or from the Moose to the Jets, it's been a great thing in, a, in their back pocket. It, it hasn't helped the Moose because so many of their players right. are in the NHL right now. Um, but the American Hockey League's Development League, and that's their job. So I think uh, kudos again, and we say this every year, and as we should, uh, Pascal Vincent and his coaching staff have done a great job preparing the players for the National Hockey League, and Jansen Harkins has taken advantage of his situation. And again, just a great story so far this year for, for, for the Winnipeg Jets. I was going to say, he reminds me of how Mason Appleton came in, but they were both yeah. from the same draft year. They're both from 2015. Jansen yeah. Harkins is a second-round pick. Appleton much later, 168th overall. But they yeah. both come in, n- neither of whom were on anybody's minds at the start of the seasons in which they broke in. Yep. And yet here they are making good minutes and making good on their opportunities to play. And it's important in the NHL and the salary cap world that you get contributions from younger guys on entry-level contracts. Yeah, especially, you know, you've just uh, added a lot of, you know, Blake Wheeler's new deal kicked in this year. And uh, Kyle Connor, Patrick Laine signed their big contracts. So it's it's critical. And that's the whole role. You're drafting and developing. The Jets have done a great job of that as an organization in the 2.0 era. Uh, and it continues to shine every year at this at this point, right? So it's uh, Jack Rosovic's come up, uh, fit in nicely. Uh, Andrew Kopp did not spend a whole lot of time in the American Hockey League, but he had, he had some time down there, and it was critical. Adam Lowry, same thing. So uh, again, it's it's been fantastic, and it's worked out in, in the Jets' favor, especially in this year of the injury. Uh, it's been very handy, and also also great to see Mark Latesti on the ice today. Now, mm. you know, 30, the thirty minutes was more than enough for him. That's going to be his maximum. He's still a ways away, but that does a whole lot for him um, to be around the team and to, for the team to have him around as well. So it's uh, you're asking questions now when Adam Lowry and Matthew Perot come in. How does that all shake out? Are you going back to uh, Lowry, Kopp, and Roslovic, or what are you going to keep with the Harkins, Kopp, Roslovic, and put in Adam Lowry in the fourth line? I, there's so many questions to be answered, but the, the most important part is the Jets are starting to get healthy when their big players and their role players are needed the most. And uh, it's going to be very interesting how this, all these pieces fit uh, once everybody gets back. Just quickly, before I let you go as a hockey fan, would you like the NHL to get rid of the loser point? I go back on this all the time, right? It's, it's, so it's made things a lot interesting. Uh, a lot of teams that you think would be out of it, that loser point sure plays an instrumental role in it, uh, but it would sure separate the, the, the good teams, right? That's where you're, um, you win when you have to. You're not playing for that extra point. Uh, you, you just go in and hope for the best when you go into overtime. But, man, it's uh, I, I, I think they should get rid of it or turn it uh, – I'm also a big proponent for the three points for a regulation win. But I think the hockey world is not ready for that yet. That's too dramatic in their eyes. But uh, I've been – I've been wrong about this before. Sometimes they have it, but they, I think too many teams love that loser because it makes things, it allows teams to remain in competition when maybe ordinarily that wouldn't happen. And you need parity, and Gary Bettman stresses that, and the loser point keeps and creates parity at the same time. Columbus Blue Jackets currently in the second wildcard spot with 14 overtime losses. Yeah, and they also conference. play in one of the toughest divisions in hockey too. So every one of those loser points is needed. But I, I, I totally get it. Like 
Yeah, but the Edmonton Oilers made the Stanley Cup playoffs in 2006, and they had a plethora of loser points, and they went all the way to the Stanley Cup final. So it's it makes for interesting things at this time of year, and you want everybody to believe that they have an opportunity to get the Stanley Cup playoffs, or you have a lot of angry fan bases. All right, Jamie, appreciate your time. Have a good night. We'll talk to you later on. Yeah, all, all the best, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. I want to get to something that I saw online today. I see the headline. CFL pondering a change to Rouge? I hope so. And it's the headline on a column on the 980 CGME website in Regina, written by Green Zone host Jamie Nye, a regular guest here on the show. So why does Jamie want this change to happen? Well, let's ask Jamie now as he joins us here tonight. Jamie, why? Well, I, I just uh, I go back to situations in games. I go back to 2004. It's the West Final, Saskatchewan and the BC Lions. Paul McCallum lines up for 17 yards. He misses, and he gets a point. I go to games last year when John Ryan is trying to directionally punt to the 10-yard line. He mishits it, and it bounces into the end zone, rolls out the side, and he gets a point. And you have kickers who are, they know they made a mistake. They're swearing at themselves, and a point comes on the board. It just seems like, why are we giving points for things that the team doesn't want to have happen. And I know, oh, you're rewarding field position. Well, no, it's about scoring touchdowns and kicking the ball through the uprights is the way, is the reason for scoring. That's why I've always thought it's ridiculous. Could you imagine? I couldn't imagine a Grey Cup coming down to a game-winning field goal and the ball goes wide right (laughs) and they celebrate a victory for the single point. It just it seems backwards to me that the point of a play is to do something. And when you screw it up, you get rewarded for it. I definitely understand where you're coming from, from the field goal point of view, because let's say you may, you miss a 48 yarder, that ball's coming out, right? The, the returner will take it out. Yeah. But, uh, the, if you miss like a, you know, a 26 yarder and you just punch it into the seats, everyone thinks it's a terrible thing, but if it's a tie game, you've got the lead all of a sudden. Has there been any kind of support around the league about this idea? Well, it was interesting. We had Randy Ambrosi on the Green Zone last week, and he brought up this, a fan brought this forward in Montreal, I guess, and it had a lot of support that a lot of fans were like, yeah, let's amend the Rouge, because you'd still be able to get a point, but it would be a concession. It would be someone taking a knee in the end zone would give you a point. And that's what kind of, I've been on this for 10 years. I've thought the Rouge has been uh, a a weird way to reward failure, in my opinion. So that's that's how it came about with Randy Ambrosio on the road trip, and he brings it forward. And it's been interesting to see that the fans, there's some taking to it, and there's others who, they're purists. They think the Canadian game needs to stay with that realm of, a rugby rule that you get to a certain point, you get a point for punching the ball through the end zone. So what would your perfect solution be then? What in your world would be eligible for a single point? Well, there's two ways you can go. Uh, uh, Both of them are an amendment where, so you get a point. If, my ideal one was you get a point only if the other team fields the ball in the end zone and can't get out or they concede the point where they take a knee or they get tackled in the end zone. That gives you a point. Now I could see other people arguing, well, now 
you're going to lose some of the return game because teams that don't want to give up a point will just let the ball bounce in the end zone and see if it bounces through. So you could have an amendment that says if the ball touches inbounds in the end zone and still goes through or inbounds anywhere on the field and still goes through, you still get a point. So that would only really eliminate when a field goal is missed and it sails out the back of the end zone. I don't really like that one. I'd rather it just be a concession. The team has to field it and concede a point to to give up one. Talking with Jamie Nye of CJME in Regina, host of the Green Zone weeknights 3-6. to six. What about kickers? What do they think of this? Well, it seems like Rob Maverlet liked it, uh, the punter for the uh, Calgary Stampeders, because he... Because what happens now is you get rewarded a 70-yard punt that goes through the end zone and you get a single point for it, and that shows up at the stat sheet and that helps out the average. So maybe if you cut off the yardage to the goal line and don't reward the extra 50 or extra 20 yards, it would change something. So he's in support of it. Richie Leone, I wasn't quite sure. Uh, He he says he just, he said a minus one, but he he was indifferent to a rule change at all. So uh, I'm... I think this is gaining more traction than it usually has. I think as more and more people of a younger generation fall in love with the Canadian Football League, it's starting to make less and less sense to them why this point is even being rewarded, rewarded, period, because it goes way back to the rugby rules that they adopted in the 40s and 50s when they made it the Canadian Football League. Uh, and and that's where I'm like, okay, are we really still doing this? Do we need rules from the 30s and 40s? Because times have changed, and it's a, a different game entirely than what it was played back then. And every league grapples with this, grapples with rule changes, grapples with the fight against history, against tradition, to try to bring rules and standards into the 21st century. And the CFL, to its credit, has tinkered with a lot of stuff, especially with replay and the challenge system over the course of the last few years, do you feel like the league and Randy Ambrosi certainly has been very open to any ideas. Do you think this will actually happen in the next couple of years? I think it might. I was surprised Randy brought it up and he seemed quite intrigued by it, especially the support it got at that fan forum in Montreal. Um, I still believe there's probably where this ranks for the coaches and general managers and officials and players of changing the rouge. Uh, I think there's probably too many opinions to really go, yeah, we need to do this. I I would honestly be surprised if the rule changed as much as I would like it to. Uh, But I think the, the one point will be, it will take a gray cup moment like for Ryder fans in 1989 if Dave Ridgway misses the field goal and it goes out the back of the end zone and the team celebrates a victory, I think that might be the moment that pushes it over the top. We haven't been there yet, but I I know there will be a time when a playoff game is decided by a missed 25-yard field goal at the end of a game. So in those situations, late in games or right at the end of games where someone kicks it into the end zone, and then they punt it out of the end zone, then someone punts it back into the end zone. Is that still eligible for a point? Well, if the team fields it, they'd have to get it out somehow, or they have to concede the point. So that would still be in in play uh, for sure, 100%. It's just if the other team kicks it, don't kick it too far out of the end zone, else maybe it won't be a point. 
uh, going the other way uh, the, the, or tinker with it that if the other team does kick it out all of a sudden the rouge is in play if you kick it back through so uh, it's it's up for debate and uh, it created some debate amongst CFL fans today for sure I think nothing though will touch the debate over the idea of the playoff system changing with the CFL looking at getting rid of basically divisions once the playoffs start in that first round where you just have three versus six and four versus five. I think a lot of people are okay with that. Maybe not as okay with the first place overall team getting to pick their second round opponents there. I, I know the talking to Randy Ambrosi last week, getting a little more pushback on that idea. What are your thoughts on the changing to the playoff model potentially? Yeah, I, I hope they get rid of divisions. Uh, the only way I think they keep with divisions, if you're going to weigh the schedule a lot more, uh, because right now the East play more games against the West than they do their own division. Uh, they have to play two against everybody, so by default they're playing 10 games against the West because there's five there, and they only play eight games against their division. I think that's ridiculous. That's true. And especially to have divisions, I would just... Uh, if you're going to go when Halifax or if Halifax comes in, everybody has to play each other twice. What's the point of there's no division rivalries. There's no divisional races. You're playing everybody twice. Right. Just rank them one through six and let's be done with it. Fair enough. Do you like the idea of the first place team getting to pick their opponent? I, I think the GMs would kill it, uh, to be quite honest. Even if they made it a rule, the general managers would just be, just so everybody knows we're uh, by default just going to pick the team that has the least amount of points, and that's that, because we don't want to have it perceived that we're throwing any shade at an opponent because I think the GMs would just kill it anyways. So I'm not a really big fan of pick your opponent in in the Canadian Football League. Did you get to the Scotties at all when it was in Moose Jaw? I did, yes. Uh, Well represented by Manitoba, that's for sure. Now you have a Winnipegger skipping the men's team. Uh, in the briar, is that okay? Uh, well, we, we're allowed the imports, and uh, Matt Dunstone, he uh, talks a good game from uh, the uh, about Saskatchewan, so uh, we accept him for now, that's for sure. Uh, of course, he lives in BC, so he's all over the place. Getting, uh, But a uh, good uh, couple of Regina guys on the front end, and of course, the third, Braden Muscawi, and that's the rules now. You're allowed mm-hmm. an import, and it is Matt Dunstone. Good guy. It's prairie curling, so we can all be united to hopefully see the uh, Prairie Pride raid supreme again with uh, Manitoba winning the Scotties. And it's been a long time for Saskatchewan at the Briar. 40 years. 1980 was the last time a Saskatchewan rank one with Rick Folk. That's stunning, isn't it? It's crazy. It's crazy to me with all the curlers that come out of this province. And we've had a couple of silver medals and bronze medals at the, uh, the Briar, but just can't uh, seem to haul in. And right now he can't seem to haul in the sponsorship money in Saskatchewan to have one of those all-star teams on the circuit to curl as much as, you know, the Mike McEwens do and uh, Kevin Cooey's do around Canada and Epping, et cetera. So it's a bit of a problem for uh, Saskatchewan, but one of these days uh, I think we'll, we'll see a champion again, but it it might be a longer drought, that's for sure. The longest drought in curling, basically. All right, Jamie, I appreciate your time as always, and uh, keep enjoying the off season. Yeah, right on. Thanks for having me. Canadian National Powerlifting Championships begin tomorrow here in Winnipeg. 
And joining me on the line is Matthew Bowen, president of the Manitoba Powerlifting Association. Matthew, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Ready for the big tournament? To say the least, we've been preparing for about two and a half years now. So to see it finally be here is very, very rewarding. Two and a half years. So what was the process to get this set up? Well, like in other major events, we have to make a bid. Um, and the country executives basically decide which bid's the best. And we have two years from that point to prepare. So we've been in the works for this in mid-2017, actually. Yeah, so we won our bid at uh, March 2018 at the national championships at that time. And we've been preparing pretty pretty steadily ever since. When did you first get involved in powerlifting? Me? I've been involved since 2012. My first competition was in 2014. My partner, Susan, has been around forever, though. She's been around for decades. So we're a team. We're a partnership in running this event. She's 70. I'm 30. So we have a nice little dynamic. <laughs> Equals 100. It's perfect. Exactly. <laughs> uh, now, what uh, as, a, as a sport or an activity, why did you want to give powerlifting a shot? Um, you know, I'd lost a bit of weight and I wanted to get stronger. So I deadlifted, um, on my own and I wanted to see how guys could do it better. I went on YouTube. Um, one thing led to another. I'm clicking link after link after link. I find an event in my local area. I signed up. That was my first competition. A couple of years later, I'm going to nationals. A couple of years after that, here we are hosting it. And it's just gone really, really fast. <laughs> yeah. How did your first competition go? Were you a little nervous? Well, yeah, nervous. It was awful. Every everybody's first competition is awful, <laughs> but it was fun, and that's the thing. We uh, we love what we do. What was the biggest surprise to you? Um, in my first competition, um, probably just how many people show up and care for uh, an event like this. You know, we go to the gym and we do this stuff, but you know, it's us against ourselves. But when you're doing it in front of an audience with such a supportive community. It's not you against yourself anymore. It's everybody is there to support each other. Even when you're against somebody else, everybody's sort of a team. Nobody roots against the other person in our sport, and that's pretty cool. Everyone wants the other person to, to hit the personal best, right? Yeah, so even if you're you know, one-on-one against something, you know, um, for the most part, people want their opponent to hit it because they want to see a good lift, which you don't see that in a lot of sports. The other team scores in hockey, oh, that's something to be upset about. For us, yeah, it sucks if you don't win, but... You still get the entire venue cheering. So what are the lifts that uh, are involved in powerlifting? All right. So there's, you can do two things. You can either do the bench press only, which everybody's familiar with, or you can do the squat, which is putting a barbell on your back, squatting until your butt's below your knees, and bringing yourself back up. Then you do a bench press, and then you do deadlifts, which is bringing the bar from the ground, locked out at your hips. Um so you get three attempts of each of them, and you get nine attempts total, which whatever your best lift is from each of them adds up. And then we go by body weight categories, age categories, whoever has the best overall total wins. Now for these lifts, obviously you're going to get real heavy. What kind of time frame do athletes have to warm up to get to these heavy numbers? Uh, to warm up, I mean, they have anywhere. We have a warm-up room, so it takes them about half an hour usually. And we give them enough time to do that. When they actually get out, they get three attempts. So they get uh, they have to stand in a line. Usually takes anywhere from you know seven to twenty minutes. Sometimes less, depending on how many people are there. Um, but yeah, the whole event for a powerlifting competition goes about four hours. 
when you get everybody cycling through. So it's, it's a big one for us. We have 26 different sessions in five days. Okay. So we have two Tuesday to Friday, we have three sessions a day with two platforms, two different competitions going at the same time. Saturday, we're highlighting our um, bigger athletes, our heavier athletes. So one platform twice a day and then a banquet that night. Um, but we have 420, 430, somewhere in that range. People keep getting injured and dropping out, athletes competing with us. So it's, it's a big week. Talking with Matthew Bowen, president of the Manitoba Powerlifting Association, the National Powerlifting Championships in Winnipeg starting tomorrow at the Victoria Inn and Conference Center on Wellington Avenue. Are you competing in this as well? Yeah, so me, I'm just doing the, I'm not just doing the bench press, but I'm doing the bench press in the morning. It's the first event. Uh, so I get my three bench presses and then I continue on to help run the event with all our amazing volunteers. Uh, I get to referee, I get to coach, we get to wear a bunch of different hats at this event. Um, we're encouraging anybody to show up. Um, it's $10 for an admission fee. Uh, we have tons of volunteers. We, we'll have a bar afternoon. We'll have food, uh, vendors. It's going to be an exciting time. Where do you rank in the 420-something athletes that are coming? Me personally, I've been dealing with some injuries, and I'm probably not going to be at my best because of uh, just because of how busy we've been. But you know, I'm I'm hoping to be able to stay qualified for nationals and maybe get a medal. Hopefully, second or third. We'll see. I'm not too sure. What's your best lift? My best lift for a bench press uh, in pounds is about 350 pounds. We work in kilos, so. A little bit different, but uh, most people work in pounds. My best squat's about almost 500 pounds, and my best deadlift's 550 pounds. Now, that sounds like a lot, but it's nothing compared to some of the people here. It's, that's almost insignificant compared to some of the things we're going to see this week. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like that sounds like quite a bit uh, compared to <laughs> me, a normal person. Um, so you mentioned that there's a lot of different age categories. What's the high end of the people competing? I'm going to hand you over to Susan Haywood, my partner. Okay. She's 70. And here she is. Okay. Hi there. Hi, Susan. Uh, I asked Matthew, uh, what's the high end of people that are competing in this? How old do how old are the the oldest competitors? I think the oldest is seventy two. I'm seventy this year. I'm seventy one this year. And you asked Matthew what what attracts people to this sport. I think one of the things is it's a sport for all ages and all shapes and sizes. We've got people that weigh as little as 130 pounds up to 200 and, I don't know, 90, 400 pounds. Yeah, we've got some really big guys and some really small people, and everybody can do it. And you you have to have fun. And we've got an amazing bunch of athletes from all around the country. And I have to thank Tourism Manitoba because uh, Matthew mentioned that we had to put in a bid. Well, that bid was done for us by Tourism Manitoba and and city of winnipeg and they were tremendous helping us put this thing together and we are going to show the country how wonderful winnipeg is when did you start powerlifting? um when i was in my 40s and and this is a sport that you can start when you're older whereas you can't start doing ballet or <laughs> mm, yeah. you know figure skating when you're 40 but you know it it really is something if you can lift a couple of pounds and you go hey this feels pretty good and you can always challenge yourself, you know. So when you go up there, I, Matthew was saying that, you you know, you, you challenge yourself. So it's always a, a personal thing that you're going up there and trying to lift as much as you can. 
but your competitors in the background cheering you on. And it's absolutely amazing. And all these people from all over the province are here. And I think we've got, like I said, 435 registered uh, athletes. And that's a lot. And people will have fun if they come to watch. They can come. You can get look at our website and it will be on the Manitoba Powerlifting Association website, and you look up the CPU 2020 Nationals, and you can get the schedule, and you can come and watch. Perhaps you weigh 150 or 160, then you can come and watch those people. And then you can say, oh, well, how do I compare to those? And that that's really fun because that's how you get into this sport. You know, you watch them and you go, oh, I can do that. Right. <laughs> Now, uh, how many Manitobans are going to be part of this? I'm going to give 39 for Manitoba. Okay, well, let's. Uh, well, let are we are we hoping to win medals? How do we how do we stack up against the competition here? Well, I will probably win a medal. <laughs> I'm hoping to win a medal, but I'm I'm on my own in my weight class because there isn't very many 70 year olds doing this. Don't know why. But uh, I'm going to be on my own. <laughs> and so I, if I list what I, the thing with this sport, if I say load the bar to 100 kilos, which is 220, if I don't do that lift, I cannot go down. Okay. So it's quite, quite a selection of your first attempt because that can't drop down. So even though I'm alone in my weight class, I had to qualify to be here by lifting a certain amount in my local province. Okay. And then you have to do a regional and so on. It's like a ladder. You walk up the ladder. So this is the, the elite, the top of the cream of the crop of the whole country. They've all done several events to get to this place. And you've got three lifts and there's some pressure there for sure. There is a lot. I'm doing the three lift, as Matthew was saying. There's two kinds of competitions that we do, the bench press alone and then the three lift. So that squat, bench and dead. And I'm doing all three. And we also have two categories, classic and equipped. Classic is is just with, uh, um, I think you would know what I'm saying when I'm saying a wrestling singlet. Yes. Do you understand what that is? It's just like a non-supportive suit. And that's called the classic lifting. So that's all you're allowed. But in the equipped lifting, you use a different kind of singlet. It's made with very, very tough material. And it gives you uber support. So when you go to squat, it gives you a spring out of the bottom. And it uh, it really helps. And you wear, wear these supportive knee wraps. And that's called equipped lifting. And I'm in the equipped. Good to know. All right. So all the info, manitobapowerlifting.ca. Uh, this starts tomorrow at the Victoria Inn and Conference Center. runs through Saturday. Uh, Susan, yeah. Matthew, appreciate your time tonight. And good luck at this competition. Thank you so much. Tell everybody to come and watch. Will do. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> From a distance, there, Matthew Bow and Susan Hayward there. Tune into the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?